The Productive Woman, Episode 296. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, I will share with you my conversation with wife, mom, tech space worker, and holistic health coach, Chris Rice. You'll find more information about Chris, along with links to resources she recommends and the ways you can connect with her online, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 296. And now let's get right into my conversation with Chris. I'm so pleased to introduce to the Productive Woman community, Chris Rice. Chris works full-time in the tech space for one of North America's largest IT and networking companies, and at the same time, she's building a business serving clients as a holistic health coach. Chris lives in the Pacific Northwest with her husband and two daughters, and I have been looking forward to talking with her about how she's making a life that matters. So welcome, Chris. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Well, I've been looking forward to it. Uh, and so I shared just a little tiny bit about you just a minute ago, but maybe we can start by you telling us a little more about who you are, what you do, where you are, whatever you think would be useful for us to know about you as we get into a conversation about how you're being productive and, and making a meaningful life. That sounds great. So I have two young daughters. Um, I've been married for a little over 10 years now. And so we have a full plate. <laughs> and now we're in quarantine life. So that makes things extra interesting. But as you mentioned, I have been in the tech world pretty much since I got out of school. I've been in marketing and events. And it's a really exciting and fun path to be on. Um, but I've felt this bigger call within myself that, you know, there, there's something else kind of pulling on my heartstrings to take me in another direction. So I've come across holistic health coaching and really have focused and delved into that. And it has been my passion project that I get up at five in the morning and do before I start my workday. So yeah, I kind of lead a double life, but <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, the best thing has been just seeing my daughter's watch that passion unfold and for them to understand what I'm trying to do and for them to be excited about it with me and share that journey. So it's an exciting time and I'm, I'm really thrilled to just have the opportunity to speak with you today. And it's so interesting to me too. There are lots of questions that come to my mind as you were talking because I had not heard the phrase holistic health coach before. And I'll want to talk a little later about what that means to you and, and kind of what it is you do. But uh, you obviously have plenty on your plate. You have a full-time job. You have a business that you're building. You have a family and, and young kids and and all the things that are going on in your life and in the world right now as you and I are talking right now. Um, we're still in the midst of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and all that that implies and creates in our lives. And so I want to talk with you about how you're managing all of that, how you're doing that, kind of what's working for you, what's not working, so to speak. 
And I think it's always, as we talk about specific tools or techniques or approaches for productivity, I think it's helpful for us to have a little context for those things um, because what works for us often is a function of, you know, what our life is like. And so for that context, if there's such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? Definitely. So for me, I'm a very routine person and I'm going to guess a lot of your listeners are too. So for me, I really thrive on routine and having kind of a set flow of how my day will work. So I mentioned that I get up at five. That's something I started doing probably a year and a half, two years ago, when I realized that I just needed some quiet space that was mine in my day. Because once everybody's up, it's game on until the end of the day with all that we have going on between work and kids and and all of those things. And so I found I started at, I think, an hour before my kids would wake up and I would give myself that hour. And I slowly just started increasing it um, because it felt good. And so that morning time really grounds my entire day. And the few times that I think, oh, maybe I won't do it, like a little bit extra sleep sounds good. Inevitably, my day just feels off. So for me, that grounding start to the day is a really big deal. Um, And then from there, I kind of, again, block my time, I would say. And so I am a big fan of trying not to multitask and actually just single task and get a lot of things done either in batches or just really concise timeframes. So that's a lot of what I spend my work day doing. And then I try and wrap up my day around four-ish so that I can really devote the rest of the time um, with my family. So the weather's getting nice now, so we're able to go be outside and, you know, take a scooter ride around the neighborhood before dinner and and all of that good stuff. So my evenings are definitely sacred time with family, and and we're soaking that in more than ever for sure. Mm, Yeah. Has your routine changed at all because of, um, the consequences of the pandemic. Uh, did you, have you always worked at home? Are you working from home now? Do you still go to the office? Um, what's been that impact? Yeah, great question. I actually have always been a remote worker. So that was zero difference for me, which was really a blessing. That was nice because there was no transition to learning that. Our transition has been with our kids being home. But Mm -hmm. from a work aspect, I had my office all set up. Everything was made to be as it is in in the pandemic lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. not really much of a change there. I, I did kind of play around a little bit with like, you know, am I pushing myself too hard to keep the same rhythm of things that I have in previous normal life? And and I kind of played with that for a couple weeks in the early start of all being home. And then I kind of realized that it really is that where I was playing with it was really like my time that I'm giving myself. And I just found that if I didn't grant myself that time and space and that quiet that I needed, it just really felt like a longing there. So I went back to it and, you know, it might look different than a lot of times my time for myself will be to create or to write or however that looks. And now that's transitioned a little bit where, you know, maybe I have to do our like 
family bill paying or whatever that is. It might be different things I have to do, but I still have, you know, a cup of coffee and my dog curled up with me at 530 in the morning and that still feels good to me. Yeah. And how old are your daughters? I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Okay. And so are you, you're doing home education with them? Is your husband covering that? How, how is that impacting your day? Oh, that's such a long story. (laughs) (laughs) That I would love to say has been easier, but it has been, um, it's been a real challenge for us. I would say that's been in all candor, probably the toughest part of Mm. the shift of of lifestyle. So my five-year-old was in a in her last year of preschool before kindergarten. And so she transitioned out of it fine. She actually is truthfully living her best life. Mm -hmm. She just wants her core people around her all the time. And she is the little being. This is like her utopia. So she's one story. And then my older daughter, she is a very driven little girl. She is a perfectionist at heart. She tries so hard in everything she does. And this has been really, really hard for her. Mm. So she loves school. She adores her teacher. She she is just somebody who really thrives in the school environment. And so it's been really tough to take that outside of the school walls and still try and feel like she's learning something, but at the same time being gentle on ourselves and realizing at the end of the day, we're doing the very best we can. And if she's not embracing it, I got to a point where my husband and I both agree, you know, we're going to do the best we can, but our picture might look a little bit different than somebody else's. And that's okay to give ourselves that space to do that because the virtual learning, she's not a kiddo that's on screens a ton and she has kind of a hard time with that. So when everything you learn is through screens, it's really tough on certain kids. So we're doing the best we can. You know what? And and that's really all you can do. I mean, speaking as one who my kids are all grown and, and gone. I mean, my baby is going to be turning 26 next week and, and, uh, you know, he's finishing up graduate school. So he's home right now, uh, because the campus is closed down. So he's been doing his courses, you know, remotely via zoom and, and that sort of thing. Uh, not the way he had planned to finish up his master's work, but having raised kids and I homeschooled on purpose for 10 years, uh, our kids. And so I know a little bit of the time commitment that is and what an adjustment it is when it's thrust upon you and not something you chose. And for some kids, it's easier than others. And so I, f- I feel for you. I was, I was thinking as you were talking about uh, our youngest granddaughter, my uh, our oldest daughter has four little girls, and she posted a photo on Facebook yesterday, I think, of her youngest daughter having a, a little Zoom video chat with her teacher because she loves her teacher and she misses her. And, uh, and so I can imagine, and I think all we can do as parents is just do the best we can with the circumstances that we're, we're dealing with, and that's okay. I totally agree. And I think, too, as soon as we as parents are able to accept that and kind of embrace that we are doing the best we can. And it's not ideal. It's not perfect. My daughter gets her perfectionism from me. I will fully own that. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's tough 
to um, adjust to that. But I do think as soon as we can also say, yes, that's okay. And this is how it's looking right now. It's not going to be forever. Then they can also get on board with it and feel a little more at ease too, because they pick up so much, especially now, you know, if, if we're nervous and uncomfortable about something, they pick up on that so much more than we realize, especially as they're, you know, in that five to eight range, they, Mm -hmm. they get it. Yeah. Well, and not only that, we may be feeling anxious about something else entirely, but so often with kids, they pick that up, as you said, they sort of internalize it and think it's something they're doing wrong. Oh my gosh. So true. So true. And so it's, it's important for, to try to keep that dialogue open with them and, and not try to pretend that we're not anxious if that, you know, I don't think we can hide that sort of thing from kids because they're very tuned in to their parents and they take a lot of cues from the things we're doing and saying and our demeanor and everything else without, without us even, um, you know, consciously communicating, they're picking it up and they they write a story around it about what it means. And uh, some kids in particular, uh, the story they make up about it is something to do. It's reflecting on them that they're making us anxious or angry or whatever, whatever it is that they're perceiving. And, um, you know, we all do that. Even as adults, we, we make up stories for our, we tell ourselves stories about what it means when our spouse says or does something or the clerk in the store or whatever. And so often the stories we tell ourselves don't really have a lot of basis in truth. Uh, and, and so we need to recognize, I think that our kids can do that too. And, and we need to be kind of tuned into that and make sure we're finding ways to let them know that, okay, yeah, mom and dad are anxious about something else. You're doing a great job and we appreciate you or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm not a parenting expert, but it's just something that I, I have seen over the years. Absolutely. And I think those stories, like you said, they, you see them more and more now because we're in just this little fishbowl where we're all together all the time. And, and I think, you know, one of the, I I believe there's a lot of silver linings that can come from the time that we're in, you know, if we're willing to look for those. And, and one of them has been for me, just this kind of taking the lid off and being more transparent with my kids. I mean, they're, they're little, so they get a version of the truth, but they, they know what's going on at a level that is appropriate to them. And my husband lost his job during this time and we're, they see us cry over that and they see us and hear us talk about things. And now they're excited about what does dad want to do now? Like they take part in those conversations instead of hiding it from them and, and being like, Oh, well, you know, trying to shield that. I think we have done a better job of maybe making making a little bit uh, more see-through of a conversation there instead of just being like, you know what, we'll tell them when it's resolved or when we've figured it out. They're a little more involved in the whole thing now. Yeah. And I think that's good because, you know, as, as I was saying earlier, if, if they don't hear at least whatever part of the story is appropriate, they're going to make one up. And most of the time it's going to be something, well, I've done something that's making mommy and daddy sad. 
you know, that's just yep. human and somehow nature. it's their fault. Yeah. So, it, that's the story I always get from my little ones. They always somehow put the blame on themselves. And I'm yeah. like, it's not you, buddy. No. It's not you. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So much there. I think, uh, you know, it's it's this time that we're all going through together. I feel for um, for those of you who have kids at home who are trying to um, process all this yourself, but also having to think about how your kids are, are coping with it and processing it. And, uh, my heart goes out to you. It's a, it's a challenging time in a lot of ways. Thank you. So as we, you know, we, we talk about, we talked a little bit about your routine and what you're doing and how it has or hasn't changed because of the, uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns that have happened. Uh, I know from uh, the conversation we had before we started recording and some of the materials that, uh, that you've sent me that you, you know, you've got systems in place, you've got routines that work for you. And, you know, obviously if you're working at a full-time job and building a business and caring for a family, you're, you're finding ways to be productive, but we all have challenges when it comes to that. And they're different. Every person's life is a little different, presents maybe different challenges as far as staying productive, getting the things done that really matter to them. For some of us, you know, I'm one of those, I have a really hard time saying no. It's something I've had to work on very consciously. What would you say are your biggest challenges when it comes to managing your life or your space and being productive in the way that you want to be? Great question. Two things come to mind. I am definitely a fellow person who has a hard time saying no. And I've been working on that for a long time now. So I, it's always going to be a work in, in process to, to do that. But I'm a lot better at it than I was. That's definitely a big piece of it. And I think another piece for me is setting realistic expectations. A lot of times, kind of similar to the story that we tell ourselves, I have really, really high expectations for myself. Mm -hmm. And they're not always merited. They're not always necessary or they could just take a back seat. And so I find for myself, if I can just look at what my expectations are from this day and then pair that back and think about maybe three things that are really, truly like those must happen today and those will make a difference and those can happen. And then the other pieces that I have in my head have to happen. They don't have to happen. And mm -hmm. so just giving myself that pep talk and that assurance that it's okay that those don't have to, um, because I, I'm a naturally productive, just systems minded person. My brain thinks that way. So for me, it's actually like the opposite to think less. Mm. do less. And that's actually okay too. So I kind of almost take it and flip it on its side. And that's where I find honestly the most joy and success too, because I'm giving myself that space to be able to focus on the things that really matter and to let go of those things that just are, are not of importance and don't need to happen at all. Mm. And that's hard for a lot of us. I think, you know, there's so many different things we could be doing and we have these almost subconscious scripts in the back of our head of, well, if I, if I could do this, I should do this. And all of these things yeah. are important. And as you were talking, I was thinking of Greg McEwen's book, um, essentialism and the, his kind of mantra of less, but better. 
And that's kind of, I think what you were saying, instead of trying to do everything or feeling like everything is necessary, being able to take that step back and really intentionally and, um, focus on, okay, what really is essential here? And what am I just making more important than it really is? Absolutely. Yeah. Doing less and doing that of quality is so much more important. And, you know, setting some boundaries around, like for me, I feel like my attention gets pulled in a lot of directions. Mm -hmm. So I really try and focus on compartmentalizing those pieces where if I'm with my kids, I really try hard to put my phone away and we go sit outside and we enjoy that time together. Or if I'm working, I'm truly like heads down, here's my idea of things I need to do and get those done because it's when there's that overlap and that's like the breeding ground for my idea of like, must be connected all the time, must reply to this in 10 minutes. Like Mm -hmm. all of those just patterns that I have that I have to just work to kind of break apart. Mm. Yeah. And the first step really is becoming aware that those patterns are there for you. Uh, recognizing them. Uh, we're really good at, I think, fooling ourselves about what's going on even in our own heads and not questioning the assumptions that we make about, you know, what we must do or what must happen, for instance. Uh, and so being able to to get a little space to to look at those things honestly and say, okay, really, does this really have to get done? What, what, qualifies something as being absolutely essential and what of these things could be either not done at all or done by somebody else or done later a different day yes yes definitely i love that so in dealing with those sorts of things you know let's get into the nitty-gritty a little bit and the kind of practical how do you do that? Are there any particular tools you like uh, that help you manage the commitments you've made, manage your time or, or whatever, or resources that you recommend that have been helpful to you in developing the, the systems and approaches that, that are working for you? Sure. I would say a couple things come to mind. When I say space or giving myself that grace and ease in there. To me, a lot of times that ties back to mindfulness practices. Mm. So probably three or four years ago, I started meditating. And for me, somebody who is always very focused on the doing, it was not easy. It took me a long time to figure out something that actually hit home with me. But once I did, I could finally like feel at ease with that with that blank space and sitting in there and seeing, do these things serve me and asking myself those questions and just going inward a little bit instead of being so outwardly focused and driven. So for me personally, mindfulness practices are a huge part of the importance of my day. Interestingly enough, uh, my daughters have actually started meditating with me five minutes a night, like before they go to bed and Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm very open with them. I say that I do it in the morning. They don't really care. (laughs) We, uh, you know, it's, it's a spoken thing, but they don't really care one way or the other. And then since quarantine life, they've had a hard time sleeping and they've been more anxious and it's, I kept trying to figure out what would work for them. And now they do that five minutes a night. So for me, finding 
mindfulness practices that work for me are huge. Personally, I'm a huge Gabby Bernstein fan, so I love her meditations. Those are my go-to. Where, um, where do you find those? Yeah, so she puts great content out on social media. Okay. I love her. I'm pretty sure she matches Facebook and Instagram, so you could definitely find her on either one. And she actually has a really wonderful membership that you can do too. I love it. So those are all worth checking out. Or at a very base level, she has an amazing book called Super Attractor. You could listen to it on Audible or you could read the book. I think it's fantastic. And it really, I think for the times that we're in, it's applicable a lot of times, but Mm -hmm. I think it's super helpful here too. And that's Gabby Bernstein? Yeah, Gabby Bernstein. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll put links to that in the show notes. I'm sorry, and I interrupted. So you were sharing some other things about mindfulness practices. Oh, gosh, no problem. She's my go-to for mindfulness practices. A couple other book resources. I'm a big bookworm. So my my two other book resources would be Everything's Figure Outable mm. by Marie Forleo mm-hmm. and Do Less by Kate Northrup. And Do Less very much ties into the conversation we're having here. I feel like if your listeners are resonating with this, conversation. I think that do less would definitely be a great one to check out. I, I loved it. I devoured it on, I think an airplane ride. So Mm, it's great. Great. Excellent. Uh, Other, other tools or, or resources that, uh, that you use, do you, do you rely on a calendar? And if so, are you a digital person, a paper and pen girl? I'm a little bit of a hybrid. I do it, but I do both. So I have a calendar that sits by me that's just kind of a basic day planner, although I always like pretty day planners. I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of those. (laughs) So (laughs) I have my pretty day planner sitting next to me. And then calendar wise, I block everything off on my actual calendar just to keep it all straight and have all my reminders in there. Mm -hmm. But one great tool that I don't know if you've um, checked out before, or but it's called the perfect day formula. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. I'll send you the link to it so you can include it in the show notes if you feel so inclined. So it's called the perfect day formula. And it is a really great way to prioritize the things that matter to you, whether that's something at work with family, whatever your like non-negotiables are and you plot them into basically like a grid for the whole week. Um, And it's a really simple way to look at your time and see if it's aligning with what your values are. Mm. So I love this resource and it's always kind of a working document for me that I'll kind of adjust depending on how things are going. But as a, a kind of base format for my week, I love seeing that and being like, okay, I'm hoping to spend X number of hours doing this and X number of hours doing this. And at the end of the week being like, did I do that? Or how do I need to shift the next week? I love so it's it. a really great tool. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. And the one other one I had too, I'm a big Amy Porterfield fan and I took one of her classes and my favorite takeaway from it was the idea of batching, which speaks to my own productive heart. So <laughs> it, it made so much sense to me, but I never thought about that. So as somebody who's a writer, I now will plan my content and I will sit down and write, say, five or six blog posts across an entire week 
versus having sort of a cyclical nature of what I'm doing of, you know, okay, I'll do X number of social posts this week, X number of blog posts, X number of emails, and kind of being reactionary all week. I look at things in a four to six week time frame and I batch my time to get those things done in probably at least half of what I used to do. It's probably far less than that. So Mm -hmm. that has been a really, really great way for me to be able to get all of my pieces that I want to do for my own business done in addition to still maintaining my full-time career. Yeah, that's uh, batching tasks is such a great tool for lots of reasons. We've talked about that a couple of times in the past and uh, just the the time you save in sort of the getting ramped up to do something, uh, doing a, then doing a bunch of it all in that one setting rather than having to ramp up multiple times over the course of a week or, you know, month or whatever. So uh, and just that. to minimize those distractions yeah. too, you know, the, if you have your mindset, like I'm going to sit down and do X for an hour and a half. If you have that in your mind, it's very different than being like, oh, well, I might check my email while I'm doing that. And I might do this while I'm doing that. Cause I'm going to get all these things done at once. Yeah. When in reality it takes like 10 times longer because you're yeah. going from one thing to the other and, and trying to get it all taken care of. So yeah, yeah I'm a big fan. Absolutely. This is so great. I want to talk a little bit about what it is you're doing on your, the business that you're building, um, because I'm intrigued and maybe, you know, lots of people already know this and I just hadn't heard it before, but, um, you, you talk about your, your business is being a holistic health coach. What does that mean to you? What, what is a holistic health coach and, and what is it that you do in that role? Yeah, definitely. So a holistic health coach focuses on the whole picture of someone's well-being. So, so many times if somebody hears healthy or wellness, they're going to immediately go to the food you're eating. That's the usual go-to, that or the way you're moving your body. But I'm sure you can kind of tell from the conversation that we're having that I think that a lot of your overall well-being and your health also lies beneath the surface. Those, Those practices that you're giving yourself to calm your mind, to stabilize your nervous system, all of the pieces that, you know, are less tangible. So in my opinion, a holistic health coach is somebody who looks at health and well-being and those goals around it and looks at that as a truly whole picture of your mind, body, and spirit. Hmm. Okay. Uh, That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, we, we are whole persons. I mean, there is more to us than just our, our physical being. And so looking at it from that sort of holistic perspective makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's also interconnected. At the end of the day, you know, you may be having trouble with your skin and being like, but I'm eating all this food that I'm supposed to eat. I'm drinking all this water. Like, why is my skin not good? But we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're really stressed mm-hmm. and maybe you're not even able to process that stress right now. So those pieces are also interconnected. And I think that's the really amazing part to the holistic health coaching as well. Yeah. I love that. 
when we were trading emails um, leading up to you coming and being my guest today, uh, you mentioned something in one of your emails about something that I just thought was so interesting. And, and I wonder if maybe you can talk about it a little bit. You talked about three permissions or areas that you invite people to be flexible in was the way you described it. Do you remember this? I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, um, but you talked about the three permissions that you offered. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So my idea was to have somewhat of a permission slip that we can give ourselves just because as productive people who are very cognizant of their time and productivity, I think the time that we're in right now is really, really beneficial for us to be able to step back and see how we can shift some of those expectations and give ourselves a little bit of grace and permission to realize that it's okay that changes may have to happen right now. So I do remember the three ideas that I personally think are the big three that we can focus on and that are really easy to achieve with no investment. You could totally do them today. Do you want me to go through those three? Sure. Yeah. Just uh, let's spend a couple minutes just talking about that. Cause I, I found it very helpful even just reading it in your email. And I thought, yeah, this is something I think that is important all the time, but certainly in this time when we're all dealing with a lot of changes in our lives. Definitely. I agree. So the first area that I invite people to have permission and grant themselves permission to is shifting their morning routine. So I mentioned that mine starts with five o'clock. I get two hours to myself, um, to me and to a lot of people, that morning routine is definitely a grounding piece of our day. But while that might be really important to us in previous normal life, Mm -hmm. now that might just not be possible. So I think acknowledging that a number one, that change and shift does not make you a failure in any way. Mm -hmm. But if you can instead shift that from being a failure and things aren't going as I planned to being flexible to the Mm -hmm. circumstances and seeing how you can modify that to still make you feel good, Mm -hmm. but also maybe being a little gentler on yourself and, and changing that morning routine or whatever routine you clung to revising that for the time we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, that's so good. Second would be repurposing your time. I am sure that whoever is listening is very much like me that they're constantly learning, whether it's webinars or podcasts, books, all of those things and constantly consuming. But I think really one of the beautiful things that could be taken from right now is shifting that to be something that is less tangible and action oriented. You know, maybe you start doing evening walks with your family each night, something you never got to do before because you were at an office and you didn't get home in time to do that. Or, you know, you sit out and paint rocks on the front, (laughs) the front, uh, patio and tap into your creative side with your little kiddos or your grandkids. And I think just repurposing that time to find joy and 
happiness in the time that we are given, you know, picking up any kind of hobby or volunteering or something that you've maybe always said you're going to do that never happened before. Mm -hmm. What if it happened now? You know, Mm -hmm. give it a shot. Sure. And then the third one, being permission to just feel all the feelings. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, I said I cry in front of my kids and I, I do. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a roller coaster, I think. And there's some days that are good and there's some days that are hard and there's everything in between. And so I think if we're able to allow ourselves the space to be able to feel those emotions, acknowledge them, it really will help us in the long run because we're not running from those things all the time and not trying to pretend like everything's okay because everything's different than we ever knew that it was. And so it's okay to feel those feelings and, and let that be. Yeah. I could not agree more. I think, you know, I'm a big believer in the value of gratitude, for instance, I think it makes a difference that in any situation, there's always something to be grateful for. And there are psychological and emotional and physical benefits to purposely looking for things to be grateful for and expressing that gratitude. That being said, some things about what we're going through, or and even just normal life, some there are things that just suck. And it's okay to be sad about them or angry or whatever feeling we're feeling. It doesn't mean we're a bad person, you know, that we're feeling those things. And I loved what you said about just, you know, recognizing them, acknowledging them, feeling them, and then you can move forward from them. But trying to pretend that we don't feel that way is not the point of gratitude in my you know, as far as I'm concerned, looking for things to be grateful for does not mean you have to, to pretend that you don't feel this other stuff. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. I I love that. And I'm a huge proponent of gratitude too. And I think the more that we can focus on that, one of my favorite thoughts or ideas is that joy and gratitude are as contagious as fear and anxiety are. And I truly believe that if we, if we allow ourselves to get caught up in either one, that is what we'll put out there and what everybody else is going to experience with us. So, you know, it doesn't have to be rose colored glasses by any means, but I think everybody can shift their focus a little bit, even to be, you know, thankful that you, have sunshine today, whatever tiny thing it may be, you know, take that piece and see how you can make a difference with it. Yeah, love it. It's been so interesting hearing your perspective on some of these things and the the practical steps that you take to accomplish the things that are important to you and, and make a life that matters as you you define it as you're creating that in your own life, the the systems and tools that you have in place and all of that. So I have to ask this question, as I ask every guest, even with all that you know, and the, the, you know, things you've learned and the tools you have in place and the systems and all of that, do you ever have a day when it all gets away from you or you just get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Such a good question. The biggest thing that I've learned and had to put into practice is learning to step away. Mm -hmm. So 
when things go out of control and aren't going as I anticipate them, my reaction is to try and control it even more Mm -hmm. and try and figure out how I can make this feel comfortable again. But what I've discovered is if I actually just remove myself from that situation, go and do something else entirely, that that's usually when that reset can happen. Mm -hmm. So usually the powering through method is my go-to definitely not what works. <laughs> so uh, instead, instead flipping that and, and leaning towards just stepping away, being okay with 10 minutes away, how will that affect me and going back? That's a great approach. Sometimes you just have to walk away when you're feeling that, that stress and that overwhelm. And, and the hard thing is, it's, that's a time when you feel like I can't afford to t- step away. I've got, I've got to get all this stuff done. I don't have time to go for a walk or go take a nap or whatever. And yet that's the time you need it the most to be able to get that perspective. So I I love that. That's really good. I agree. It's totally the hardest thing to do, but (laughs) it's time and time again, you know, if you can just break yourself away, it really will make a difference. This has been so helpful and so interesting to hear your perspective on this. And I want to mention uh, before we go, you know, wrap things up that you have offered to share with the Productive Woman community a resource that you've created uh, called the Five-Step Guide to Reversing Burnout, which I'm very intrigued by. We will have a link to that in the show notes in case folks want to check it out. And so thank you for making that available. Absolutely. I hope it's super helpful. Chris, what is on the horizon for you? What do you have coming up either professionally or personally that you're really excited about and looking forward to? I'm really excited about the trajectory of my deconstructing wellness business. I really feel like there's this like undercurrent rumbling around that it's just, it's going to come to be and um, be really exciting. So just in general, I'm very excited about my holistic health coaching business and seeing where that flourishes and how that goes in the coming year. And uh, let's see, personally, you know what? I'm excited for Mother's Day weekend. I know this will come out after Mother's Day weekend, but I'm excited for Mother's Day weekend. That's always a, a special time in our house. And so I'm looking forward to that. Very fun. Chris, where can people connect with you online if they want to learn, you know, if they want to ask you a question, learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place to send them for that? I am at deconstructingwellness.com. And that is my website where you can find all of my resources. And I'm most active on Instagram. And so again, my handle there and anywhere on social actually is deconstructing wellness. And actually, as of this week, I'm up on Pinterest if you have Pinterest fans. So that's very exciting. (laughs) Very cool. And we'll be sure to put links to all those uh, in the show notes in case someone, you know, is driving and can't write that down while they're listening. Uh, You can go to the the show notes for this episode and find the links for all that sort of thing. Fantastic. This has been so great, Chris. Before we go... Do you have any last words for the listener who might be, you know, looking for a little help or encouragement in in getting things done that are important to her and, and making a life that matters? What would you say to her? I would say to her to start small and then build from there. Think of one to three things that 
are your go-tos, your non-negotiables and focus on those so you can feel super successful in doing that and then take it to the rest of the things. But I think if you can really nail down those few, then it can snowball and really change the trajectory that you're on. So I've seen that for myself and, and I hope that gives some encouragement as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you, Laura. It was super great to chat with you. And I hope that your audience enjoyed our conversation. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed talking with Chris and hearing what she had to say. I'm grateful to her for taking the time to share with us her thoughts on how she's making a life that matters and her great suggestions and encouraging words for the rest of us. Be sure to check out her five-step guide to reversing burnout. The link will be in the show notes for this episode. But what do you think? Do you have any questions for Chris or for me or any ideas or thoughts on the things that we talked about. I would love to hear from you. And I know she would as well. You can share your questions or thoughts in the comment section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 296. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. As always, if you are a woman who listens to this podcast, you are welcome in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group. That's a private group for women who listen to the podcast who want to get together in a, in a private setting uh, to continue the conversations that we have here. It's a great place for asking questions, sharing ideas and encouragement, uh, just all that sort of thing. And you are welcome to join me there. You can find that by going to theproductivewoman.com slash group and click on the join button. Be sure to answer the questions. I, I need to make sure that it's really someone uh, who is who they say they are and who really does want to be part of that community. It's not a place for promoting your business or things like that. This is just a place for women who are interested in making meaningfully productive lives to connect online and um, support each other. If you prefer to share your thoughts about this episode or anything else with me privately, you can always email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I'd love to hear from you. I think that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you again for spending this time with me and with Chris. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you found something in our discussion that is helpful to you. And I'd love to hear about it if you did. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. <laughs>